Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you once again for the privilege and opportunity to be able to just, Lord, uh, be used by you for your glory. So I pray right now that you would hide me behind you, that it would not be me that they hear, but your words would come forth. Penetrate the veneer of their hardened hearts and allow the seed of your word to be nestled in a place where it grows. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is invited into this room to do what it does best. Holy Spirit, breathe upon us right now. Provoke us, challenge us, remind us of the work that you've started. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If we could stand quickly for the reading of God's word, again, when we stand in this church or any other church, we hold God's word above anything else. And because of that, we want to give reverence to where reverence is due. Um, you walk into some atmospheres and you stand up. President walks into Congress, everybody stands up. You walk into court, people stand up, okay? God is above all those people. So when we read his word, it's God speaking to us, amen? So I want to be mindful of that and I want us to be respectful of that, amen? The word for today is found in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Uh, it's on the screen, and I'll read it all for there. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which it took place was a Sabbath. And God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Quickly, I want to give you some backstory regarding this particular text, particular scripture. Jesus apparently is on this, this healing campaign. Prior to that, he heals an uh, official uh, of the court. His, his son was sick in chapter 4, and he heals him. But he comes on this scene, and he comes to this place. By the way, this pool in Bethsaida was supposed to uh, feed water into the temple. It's outside the gate, so it feeds water. It's like a reservoir that collects water and then brings it into the city. That's what that was supposed to do. But there was this urban legend, and you can see a picture here of it. There was this urban legend that um, when an angel descended and stirred the waters, that if you were the first one to get in, you will be healed. Right? Now, again, I said urban legend because the Bible doesn't tell us that anyone actually got into the waters and was healed just says that if you did it, you got healed. Now, the other thing about the scripture you have to understand, when we go back to the scripture, it says lame, blind, and paralyzed. Now, if the angels did descend and the waters were stirred, would the blind person see it? No. Would the lame person be able to get into the water? No. And would the paralyzed person be able to get in the water? Now, all three of us are here. If the water gets stirred, would I help you to get into the water or would I get into the water? 
So, but I want you to see this text. I want you to see what's going on in this text, right? I want us to be able to pack it. I want us to be students of the word of God and not just people who say, oh, wow, wait a minute, that sounds really good. I'm going to find those waters somewhere. Because, by the way, there are some charlatans all over the place that are selling water. That if you bathe in it, you get healed, right? If you get the, the, the water from the Jordan River and you put, you know, there's, there's people out there that are doing this stuff, right? The people out there that if you wear this ribbon, you know, you'll be this. And if you, listen, all those things are just gadgets and gimmicks, urban legends, folklore, fairy tales to try to get people to get what they need from something else other than Jesus. Everybody got that? Because in this particular story, that this guy is there 38 years and no one else is going to help him to get into those waters except someone who is already healed. Because if I'm lame and I see those waters stirring, I'm jumping over the blind man. I'm getting in. Right, because we are selfish. There is a tendency within ourselves to be selfish. Now, at this point, I'm going to ask you to be selfish. I'm going to ask you to be selfish with your salvation. I'm going to ask you to be selfish with your clean time. I'm going to ask you to be selfish in your relationships in the sense that you care for them in a way that nobody else can care for them. See, no one else is going to do for you what only Jesus can do. And when Jesus does it for you, then you can do it for others. On an airplane, when you travel and the oxygen drops down, they tell you what? Put it on yourself before you, right? Help somebody else. No, no, let me help you first. <coughs> no, that's not how it works. You have to be able to get healthy. You have to be able to get well before you can help somebody else. That's why I said earlier, you can't come in here and look in a relationship when you're broken and all messed up. What are you bringing into that relationship? And girls, you're crazy when you hook up with someone who's crazy. Like, like it makes no sense. Like it makes no sense. Oh, but he looks great on the outside. Absolutely on the outside. So we have to be mindful that no one can do what that man needed to be done in his life except Jesus. Jesus walks on that scene and he asks him a simple question. You want to be healed? Like, I, I find that to be like a rhetorical question. Like, really, I'm laying here 38 years. What do you think I'm doing here? Like, like I'm really, I'm hurting. Of course I want to be healed. But I have no one to help me. And the Bible talks about that. How will they know unless we tell them? How will they know? How will the world know that there's a place where they can come to? There's a person that they can come to. There's a place where they can come to where they can be made whole. How will they know unless those who have been made whole share it with them? Right? How, how would I be able to do that? We say that's a testimony because it's your life. You lived it. No one can argue it. Listen, I sit around a great deal of people all the time. And I sit around people who are different religions and all this stuff. And I always ask them, tell me about your faith. Tell me how you came to Christ. Tell me, you know, tell me, tell me how, you know, tell me what, you know, your, your God says about salvation and love and all that stuff. And because I listen to them, they're able to listen to me, and then they leave scratching their heads. Thinking, wow, I didn't think about that that way. But you have to be able to get well enough to be able to share why it is that you show up to church on a rainy day. Right? Like, you know, rainy days like this, oof, put that quilt over me. <laughs> Put a little music on and I'm sleeping forever, right? But we show up because there's something that we're seeking. There's something we desire. There's something going on in our lives that 
We think that coming into church is going to resolve. And it's not church, because church is a building. It's the people in this room whose life has been transformed by them coming to Christ. By not going everywhere else in their lives, seeking things everywhere else, and coming to the realization that Jesus is all I need. It's always been Jesus. It's always will be Jesus. It always is Jesus. It's the greatest argument. Like, like right now, you know, again, I had a conversation the other day, and people right away, you know, some disaster happens, and it's like, oh, why did God let Houston happen? So I don't think God let that happen. Yeah, really. I mean, you know, if you read Genesis all the way through the Bible, the, the world is broken. In Genesis, the minute it happened, that perfect environment, everything got broken. The, the plagues under the ground, the weather, everything. In fact, the Bible says that even the earth is groaning for the return of God. And the way it groans is by acting up. So we have volcanoes, we have storms, we have all this stuff. But I also believe that there are things that sometimes are allowed to reveal the character of man. And what you're going to realize about Houston is that somebody didn't take care of what they were supposed to take care of which is the same thing that happened in Louisiana. You didn't build up the levees, why? Because the people that lived in that area, you didn't care about them. I'm not into politics, but let's be real. So God allows things to reveal the character of man and crisis reveals your faith. When you find yourself at wit's end, it's there that this faith, this Bible-carrying person who comes into church on a rainy day, it's there in that crisis that your faith will be demonstrated. He says, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, you believe in God when you got money in your pocket and you're healthy and you're fine and everything's going good. Let you get slapped up a little bit and then I see you running away. Oh, well, God didn't stop the slap. No, God was slapping you up because you started to fall asleep. There are some of us who stopped working our spiritual program after we get clean for a little while. There are some of us who are recovering and not doing any stake work, don't have a sponsor, don't care to show up to meetings. There are people who say they're Christians, don't even read their Bibles. I don't understand. Like, the reality is that you will be found out. Crisis reveals your faith. So based on what you're doing in private, you're going to have to demonstrate publicly when you're challenged. Right? Like, like, like you know, I got pulled over in Florida. You know, I could have pulled, pulled out my badge. I could have done this whole thing. I could have said, here's my badge, boom, boom, this is who I am, blah, 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 blah. And I said, man, it's not going to be good if I say I'm a pastor and I'm, <laughs> I'm speeding, you know, that's not a good thing, you know. But we have moments where we're going to be challenged as individuals. We're either going to stand for Christ or we're going to stand alone. We're going to stand for what we believe in to be true or we're going to begin to vacillate between that lie, right, that story that we tell about who we are and who we're not. This guy wanted to be healed. And he was speaking to the one that could heal him. And his name is Jesus. Now, Jesus came to do the will of the one who sent him. The father sent him. So, so the big deal here is, the big idea, it's not in the waters, but in who? Say that again, together. It's not in the waters. Come on now, you don't believe it. Let's say it again, together, ready? Not in the waters but in the Father. It is the Father's will that he sent his Son not only so that he can heal, but to bring people to repentance, to give people eternal life, 
to redirect their lives in a way that they never thought was possible before. This person, 38 years, I don't know how long you suffered, but for, I don't know, 15 years, I ran from God. Like, I literally did a Jonah. I, I went in a different direction. I got called very early as a teenager, and I didn't like the idea that, you know, I had to drop and give up everything. I liked what I was doing. Come on now, I'm not the only one. All of you still like what you're doing. <laughs> and then you got to be mindful of that, okay? But I liked what I was doing, and I didn't feel like giving it up. And I am so grateful now. I've had consequences. Those 14, 15 years that I ran around, I, you know, consequences that I'm still dealing with. Relationships with my family, you know, splintered, you know, relationships financially. Like, I've had millions of dollars, and I just blew them. I just, I just blew them, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and that's just the way it is. But, but at the end of the day, God saw fit to continue to pursue me. You know, like you're coming out of a club all stone, and somebody gives you a track? Like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> right? Like, like you're in a you know, real serious car accident, and you walk away, and you, you don't know, you know? Like, you're in situations that you know. People in this room have overdosed. People in this room have been hurt. People in this room have been diagnosed with stuff that, you know, like, you've gone through some stuff in this room. Do you not want to know why you're still here? Like, like, for me, you know, that was a question that I began to ask. And, and that began to reveal to me the purpose of God for, me, for my life. And, and so I came to that place where I began to understand that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I began to realize that I was created for good works. I began to realize that I wasn't here to hurt people but help people. I wasn't here to use people but to allow God to use me to help them. And I wasn't here to accumulate wealth or, or, or property or prestige, all that stuff. I wasn't here to do that stuff. I was here to, to, to point people to Jesus. So to point people to Jesus, and the only way I can do that is allow God to do what he wants to do in my life so that I will be mistaken for Jesus. And that's what I wanted to do. So I began to work on it. Now, listen, I'm a work in progress. You push me the wrong way, I'm pushing you back. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, God is working on me. Give me a break, all right? But, 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 but I'm at a point in my life where I realize, man, there is a sense of, of, of something more than just me showing up every single day and punching a clock. No matter where I am or what I do, I have to have Jesus at the forefront of my life trying to find out what it is he wants me to do. So when Jesus asked me that question, do you want to be healed? I jumped up and said yes. I said yes because I realized that there was some hurt inside me. There were some things that had happened in my life. There was a fractured, you know, little boy who was trying to be a man but was using this construct of men in his life that were not men. Like they were physically grown, but they were not men. Like, like, I grew up in the South Side in the 60s and 70s. And if you didn't grow up in the 60s and 70s in the South Side, Williamsburg now is very cheeky. It's East Williamsburg, West Williamsburg, Northeast Williamsburg. You know, it's a big deal. I run into people who work on Wall Street, and they say, yo, I was in Bushwick the other day in this club. And I'm like, you just showed up in Bushwick the other day. Now you're, you're clubbing in Bushwick. Like, really? I grew up in a time when men thought it was cool to do what they did. And I've had a problem with that as I began to come with the Lord, and now the Lord has given me a ministry to help men become men. Now, it's real simple. You show up at Thursdays at 6 o'clock. Bring your Bible. Sit in the front row. Bring a piece of paper and a pen and stop acting like a boy, and you can grow into manhood. Because growing into manhood requires you to be responsible and committed because the women around you are craving that. 
they, they, they're looking for a few good men. You know what I mean? And you have to be able to grow into that. So I invite you to come on out. If you're a lady, you know, they, 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 women are having their, their service. I mean, they're going, I mean, they're still on David or something like that. They, they, they've been, it's been forever. They've been in that David thing. But it's very powerful because you don't run over Bible studies that affect you. I always ask you, I'm asking everyone in this room, you're reading the Bible on a regular basis. You're having a devotional on a regular basis. Tell me what it's teaching you. Tell me what it's teaching you. Because if you're just reading it like a novel, then it's not teaching you anything. If you're not teaching you, you're not growing. If you're not growing, then how is God going to use you? You, 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 you can't be the same. You, you walk in here, we love you, you're all messed up, you're nodding out, we got you, we love you. But being around us for a little while requires that you move along this continuum so you're growing and you're getting stronger and you're getting better. What worries me sometimes is when guys get over here or ladies get over here and they put on some weight and they're looking good, the color comes back to their skin, now they get their own theology, now they got their own Bible, now they got their own vision, now they want to do their own thing. And to them, you know what I say? Wow. Wow. You thought that up all on your own. Right? That was, that's a great idea. We have to be mindful that there's only one Bible, one God, one spirit, one baptism. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And no one comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit himself. See, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Even when you don't know, there are people who are praying for you. You're here as a direct result of people who have prayed for you. You're here as a direct result of people who have cried out to God on your behalf. He says, oh, people didn't know me. That's right, we didn't know you. But we were crying out to God for the still-using addict, the person who's in recovery, their family and their friends, the person who are far from God, the person who are lost, the person who are broken, people who are sick. Guess what? You just made one of those categories. We've been praying for you for a long time. And as a result, you have found a place where you feel welcome. Welcome. And I know all of us are at different levels here in our belief system. All of us are trying to work through this, trying to understand this. Because I got to tell you something. I told you, I ran away for 14 years. I didn't want to stop doing what I was doing. I didn't want to give it up. I loved it too much. I enjoyed it too much. I didn't want to stop doing it. But slowly but surely, God began to somehow narrow the lane that I was traveling on. And you begin to get closer and closer. You begin to get squeezed. And slowly those people that were friends, they start falling off. Slowly your family starts treating you a different way. Slowly but surely your finances start dwindling. Slowly but surely you find yourself face down eating with pigs. You wind up thinking, how did I get here? She goes, a lot of us travel a road and we don't know where it's taking us until we get there. And then find ourselves at a place where we said we would never go there. How many of us have said that? Like, like, we would never do that, right? Like, we would never do that, never go there, you know, never sleep there, never sleep with him, never sleep with her. Like, like we, we, we all said this stuff. But somehow we wound up there. And isn't God merciful? Isn't God loving and full of compassion? That here you are. You're getting a 30th chance. <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm talking to me, I'm talking to me, it's just me. 
I want to read some scripture because I want to point out a few things that are so evident, and you're not going to find them there, but if you have a pen, just write them down, right? Because we always want hope. Everybody wants to hold on to some kind of, you know, fantastic wish of something happening. And, and I want to let you know that Jesus is our hope. Okay, I'm going to say that again, right? Jesus is our hope. That paralyzed man for 38 years, he was never going to get into the waters. He was never going to be healed. It was an urban legend. It was a myth. It was a folklore. It wasn't something that actually happened because the Bible doesn't document that it took place. It was something that was said. And then the people that stood around that pool were people who were laying blind and paralyzed. There was no way they were going to get in there and somebody helped them. And again, if I'm by that pool, I'm going to get mine before you get yours. So we have to be mindful of that. It's only until Jesus shows up that he receives his healing. Amen? Amen. There are a few other places in the Bible. And I want to read the first one is found in John chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. You can write down. You probably heard this before. John chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. If you go to chapter 4, you'll see. But it talks about a woman at the well. Anybody remember the story? Yeah. Right? Why was she going to the well? Yeah. You think that was it? <laughs> this woman went to the well because she was thirsty. Right? Long story short, she was a woman who had been in multiple relationships I think she had like five husbands. I don't know if she killed them off or I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? But she had five husbands and she was a Samaritan. If you're not familiar with Samaritan, Samaritans are those people that were a mixed race and they were looked upon society as being, ugh, keep them away from us. Come on now. Can I, can I, can I talk? Right? Like I'm Puerto Rican. Okay? When I started school, they told me don't speak Spanish. Really? Now, that's how far back I went to school, you saw and say, oh, man, this, this guy's old, like, really? You know? But, but think about that, right? The, the way that you change a particular group of people is by intermarrying them. Now you confuse them. They don't know what side to be on. That was the question with our president, right? Right away, it was like, okay, you, you white or you black? Because you look black. You white or you black? Because you look black. So you have to be mindful that the Samaritans were this mixed race and the people who were in power and position looked at them in a particular way. So they were prejudiced and racist towards them. This woman who was Samaritan came to the well and guess who she met? Why would Jesus, who is a Jew, want to mingle with a dirty, filthy race? Why would Jesus wind up at the well by himself and tell the guys that were with him, go on your way? Was he thirsty? There was a moment where he realized that this woman is coming to this well and she needs to hear the truth. And the truth is this, that you can drink from that well and it'll satisfy you for a moment. But if you drink the waters I give you, you'll be satisfied for life. So again, there was a thirst within her that the well wasn't satisfying. There was a healing that the waters were not going to give that man. 
Only Jesus was able to heal him and only Jesus was able to satisfy that thirst and hunger that she had within her. And it's the same way with us. There is a hunger and thirst that people have. I had this hunger for things. I had this hunger for status. I had this hunger to be seen, to be recognized. And God came along and said, no, no, those who are, those who are you know, humbled, I will exalt. And I was like, hey, that sounds good. What does humble look like? Do I have to eat humble pie? Do I have to smile more often? God, because you know I don't smile, God. He says, no, I want you to start thinking of others more than you do yourself. And I said, well, I, 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 I can work on that. Like, I can think of you more than I do myself. And then God allowed me to be a father. And as a father, what do you do? Before you eat, Make sure the kids eat. Before you go out there and buy yourself, you take care of the kids. Before, come on, I'm talking to somebody out here now, okay? Before you go out and splurge on your video games, you take care of the family. Before you go and splurge on this fancy phone, you go and take care of the family. See, that's why I teach on Thursdays. Boys become men by becoming responsible and being committed to what God has given them. You have been blessed. And that blessing is a direct result of conditions that God is now saying, you better take care of it. Because if you don't take care of it, I'm going to take it away from you and I'm going to give it to somebody else. That proves himself worthy. You say, no, 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 that's not how it works. That's how it works. Because what begins to happen is you make the assumption that it's all about you, that you got your healing because of you, that you've aspired to be who you are because of you, that talent you have, you think you developed it. Absolutely not. It belongs to God. And God has given it to you and says, okay, let me see what you're going to do with it. And rather than coming into a place where you learn what to do with it, you try to do it out there. I, you know, I, I, I've watched music for the, for the you know, term of history, and I've seen some talented people die horrible deaths. Just talented people that God has put this gift in them. Like, 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 you know, like I'm old, 60 and 70s guys, so when I listen to, you know, what's going on? You know, like, you know, like that, that's... Those songs, like, they move me, right? Right? Nah, I mean, those are just songs. They are songs that move me. Even now in Christendom, they are songs that just move me. That's a talent God gives you. But you say, well, I don't have that talent. Start thinking of others more than yourself. Begin to, you know, open the door. Begin to give them the seat. Be begin to not walk over. You know, on Thursday, you know, on Thursday that just passed, we talked about this Good Samaritan test, right? We, we talked about people walking over, the people that we see on the street, you know? And oh, sometimes we'll get into this whole dialogue and says, that's their fault. They're homeless because of them. They're this, you know, where do you get off doing that? Like, like where do you go look down your nose at somebody else that's hurting? And, and where, where do you do that from? Where, where do you get that from? Like, like, there's a theology that the devil has that you get caught up with and you mix it and you bring it into the church and you think it's okay to act that way and it's not okay to act that way. That there is a place that we have to come to as individuals begin to realize there is a God who would hold us accountable for every word, every action, every deed. There is a moment when all of us are going to have to stand before God and he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son Jesus? And, you know, that's not a place for you to start arguing. When you stand before God, it's a place for you to say, my bad. Do what you got to do, because it's done. The time to believe is now. We live, man, we live. We live as if we have time. 
Man, we, we live as if we have time, and we want to make these deathbed confessions. And granted, God, you know, takes them and he hears them, but you now live the life that on your deathbed is when you go to heaven rather than live in heaven on earth. Like, we live as if we have time. Like, we have time to bring glory to God. Like, and that's what we're supposed to do. You've been created for good works. You've been created to bring glory to God. And three weeks ago, I walked my little brother into a hospital, and seven days later, he was dead. I thought I had more time. I thought I had more time. I didn't. And we have to be mindful that the time for us to live for God is now. You're chasing your dreams, your aspirations, your desire. You're trying to do something, you know, because you want to be famous. You're on Facebook, famous. Instagram, famous. You're still a loser if you're not living for Jesus, man. If you're not living for Jesus, if you're not bringing glory to Jesus, you know, one day I want to just grab everybody's Facebook and flash it on the screen. I just want to pick, I want to pick randomly in the crowd, you know? Can I have your Facebook? Hey, put it up there. You know? I'm just saying, man, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, right? You're spending too much time living for you and not for Jesus. And you say, well, I don't know Jesus. Well, keep coming back. Let us help you with that process. Because I'm painting a picture right now of Jesus is compassionate, loving, and caring God. He is a God who knows everything about you, every hair on your head, every thought, every place you've ever been, every place you're going to go to, everything you're going to accomplish or not accomplish. He already knows that, and this is what I love about him. He knows that you're going to mess up tomorrow. He knows that you're going to be messy, and he still loves you. Doesn't that, like, overwhelm you? Like, like I live in a world where love is conditional, right? You love me, I love you. You give me, you know, like all that kind of stuff, right? But I come up and I roll up on this Jesus and he loves me no matter what. Like, like, like he, he loves me no matter what I say, what I do, where I go, and he still loves me. But that love compels me to do something. That love compels me to respond in a way that honors him. And people always, you know, they invite me places. They say, oh, you can't. And I said, I can't go. I said, what do you mean you can't go? I said, well, let me tell you why I can't go. Right? I can't go because that's not going to honor God. He said, oh, well, you don't have to drink. I'm still in an environment that if my congregation walked by and saw me in a bar, they're not going to assume that I'm drinking cranberry juice. So if it looks like something, guess what? It is. So I don't go to places, not because of any other reason, except that I'm in a relationship now, a loving, caring relationship now. I'm in a relationship with someone who loves me despite the bumps, the bruises, Right? The keg rather than the six-pack, the twisted nose, the loose teeth. Like, like, there's a person who loves me. And because of that, I got to respond to it. He said, oh, you love me? Okay. I, I, I went to my daughter's house the other day, and, and she has this huge pit bull. It's like 100 pounds. Right? And everybody pushes that dog away. Like, seriously. And that dog just keeps coming back. Like, literally, like he gets pushed away, gets kicked, you know, they pull on his tail. You know, my, my granddaughter does that to him all the time because she grew up with him and she can do that. And I'm saying, why does that dog don't bite her? And it's because he just, this is it. 
This is, this is all he knows. And we can't change God. You, you think that you can change God by being nasty. You think you can change God by rejecting him. You think you can change God. This is a kicker for you, right? We've got to wind down soon. God knew that there were going to be people who were not going to love him. And he still died on the cross. Like, if you don't love me, you don't love me. I just write you off. You get no Christmas cards. You don't get no high, no buy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how we operate on this plane. And God knew that there would be people that were just not going to them, not going to love him, and when he sent his son to the cross, he died for everybody. Like, literally. Like, for me, that's always an issue about people realizing that here is this person, God himself, who left heaven, became a human being, nailed himself to a cross. By the way, the tree was created by him. The soldiers were, you know, something God established. The iron that they used for nails, he created the ground, and that's where they drew it out of. Everything they used, he created. But he gave his life willingly for someone. And can I tell you who that someone is? You. You, sitting in your seat. This woman at the well needed to hear this. That paralyzed man for 38 years, I don't know how long you've been trapped in your world, but the time is now. Jesus is asking that question of all of us. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be set free? Do you want to live this abundant life? Do you want to live this life which I can put on display and people can begin to question, what happened to you? What happened to you? I ran into a friend about a few years ago, and of course, you know, I was already saved, and, you know, the person owed me money. You know when people owe you money, what they do? They run the other way, you know? And uh, kind of saw me from far away, and, and you know, when people owe me money before, it was different. You, you, you paid with something, you know what I mean? So, but, um, and, and he saw me from far away, and he kind of waved at me, and just, you know, the hurry up walk, you know? And I, you know, ran across the street, and, you know, and, and I don't know if he was, like, petrified over, like, yo, what's up, how you doing? I said, listen, I'm not that person no more. It's cool. just want to hug you, let you know Jesus loves you, right? What happened to you was the next question, right? What happened to you? I'm not against programs, I'm not against medication, I'm not against all those things that help and get us to this place. But I told him that I walked into a church one day and I said yes to Jesus. And that was it. Since that day, I haven't smoked, sniffed, drank, um, stolen, <laughs> right? Hit anybody unnecessarily, right? <laughs> right? Like, I haven't done none of those things. And, and, and it's not for any other reason except what? When you come to Jesus, there's something that happens. Seriously, there's something that happens. You, you, you may not feel it right away, but there's something that happens. There's something that just quickens within you, and now you begin to have this conscience about the things you're doing. Now, you can try to numb that. You can try to run from that. But sure enough, it's going to bring you to a place of confession. It's going to bring you to a place of repentance. It's going to bring you to a place where God is able to continue to churn up and turn up what's going on inside you. And here's what it is. When God began to clean me out, it hurt. It's still hurting. 
when Gavin began to, you know, you got to turn the other cheek. I said, I ain't turning the other cheek. You know, you, you, you got to lay it down. Nah, I ain't doing that. You know, like, I, I began to struggle. But as I read God's word, it began to provoke something inside me that says, if you're going to live for me, you got to live this way. And I said, like, what about if I just, like, live for you on Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday is my day, right? I, I, I try to negotiate, right? I'm not the only one. You guys, you know, I hope you're identifying with me. You know, you're laughing and stuff like that, because I'm not here to entertain. I'm just saying I'm being transparent. You're in my living room. I wanted to come to Christ on my terms. Quick shift. Some of you want to do your recovery on your terms. eerie silence. <laughs> right? You can't. There is a program you have to follow. Yes. And if you're going to follow Jesus, there is a program you have to follow. I asked a question to the men the other day. I said, who to send the mountain of God? Right? It's a conversation we had. Who to send the mountain of God? If you don't know the scripture, it talks about the mountain of God. Who's going to get closer to God? And it talks about those who have clean hands and pure hearts. Right? He said, how do I get a pure heart? Well, I get into God's word, and he reveals his heart. If you're in recovery, you do a serious fourth step. <laughs> and, and that'll get something out of you, right? But you begin to do those things. You begin to work towards you. You allow God to purge and, and cleanse and begin to bring you face to face. Because here's what I know. If, 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 you, if you catch it, you got it, right? If you see someone acting a fool, guess what? You were a fool one time. It's bothering you now, right? That you act, He acted like a fool, but you were just that fool two, two days ago. So God allows you to see things. He said, I can't believe he's acting that way. And then God said, hey, you were acting that way just a week ago. God begins to, and if your response to that is like, oh, God, you're right. Rather than say, no, man, he's worse, man. Look what he's doing. He's worse than me. No. God allows us to see things so that we can grow in this relationship with him. There's plenty of stories. The woman in the well, the blind man who was screaming as Jesus was passing by. He was blind for a long time. People question whether he was blind because of a sin his parents committed or a sin that he committed. No, Jesus said, this blindness is for the glory of God. What did he mean? People need to see that I'm able to heal those who are blind. And I got to tell you something. I was blind, but now I see. And only Christ did that. That's the power of God in our lives, to bring sight. When you talk about being paralyzed, it, a lot of times fear paralyzes us. A lot of times, inadequacy paralyzes us. Us thinking that we're not good enough because the world has put that upon us. Our families put that upon us. Our significant relationships put it upon us. Imagine you get a note when you break up with somebody. It says, I'm leaving you. You'll never amount to nothing. Bye. <laughs> like, really? That's how you want to leave? Jesus takes that note and says, you're fearfully, wonderfully made. I've created you for good works. Wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. Whatever you do is going to be a direct result of what I've given you to do. The Great Commission talks about us going out and teaching people what we've learned. When I speak to the men, I always say, you can't teach anybody if you haven't learned. God's way. You're going to wind up teaching them your way, and your way doesn't work. So it's important for us to learn a new way, the only way, and that way is Jesus Christ. You need healing, it's about Jesus. You need deliverance, it's about Jesus. 
Salvation is no other name in which you can be saved except the name of Jesus. There is a power that's given to you when you tap in to Jesus. There is a strength you get in the moments when you are weak and it comes from Jesus. Like I'm not selling you a used car here. Like Jesus has done a work in me. Like man, the greatest thing for me is I'm able to be a father to my children. My son right there. Everybody, that's my son. All right? Don't trip. God's, you know, working on him. So don't, don't put don't, don't, don't put the pastor garb on my kid. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. My, my kid's going to be all right. I'm training up in a way he should go, and he's never going to depart. I got that. But he's in his process. But for him never to see me use, abuse, misuse, like, never, like I grew up in a place where that was normal. And that would have been his normal if I would have stayed on that side of the tracks. I crossed over, and to be a father that's able to guide him, and for him to be sitting in the front row in church, I wasn't sitting in the front row in church when I was his age. For him to be learning a particular way, and I'm not blowing him up, I'm simply saying, this is what God has done in my life, and he's do it in your life. You all have amazing stories in this room that you can share. Even if you got 20 days clean, celebrate that. Even if you just came back from a run, Hallelujah. I'm just glad you're here. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, I am so grateful that you're here to hear that the only one that can heal you is Jesus Christ. The only one that can set you free is Jesus Christ. The only one that can lift you up when you're down is Jesus Christ. I am never, never lonely. Never. I'm never. In fact, sometimes I'm saying, yo, get away from me. <laughs> you know? I am never lonely because God has always promised to be with me. No matter where I am. No matter where I am. And you all know that you could be literally alone in a crowded room. Because you don't want nobody to know who you are. You don't want people to, to, to get into your business because you're a private person. You're just a messed up person that hasn't learned how to navigate life. That's all. And the enemy says, don't say anything. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anyone, I got you. All right? We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to take communion. I, I want you to realize what's going on right now in this room. The Holy Spirit is here moving throughout this room to, to kind of let us know that God is a God who knows exactly what you're going through. And when God looked across the landscape, he realized, man, someone's got to come and take care of this situation. And he came himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our strength and our salvation. Jesus is all that we need. And you're not going to know he's all you need until he's all you got.